Proverbs 29. This proverb is about using good sense. Using good sense. A lot of people can be very smart. They can be educated, but don't use good sense. And the scripture says a lot about good sense. And here Solomon deals with the wicked ruler and his punishment. And one of the best illustrations of this proverb is in the history of Israel. There was a pattern in Israel that was seemed to be an ongoing pattern, and, and it's, it's been ongoing since then. We see it in many Christians' lives today. There was a pattern of constant chastisement where God would come in and discipline them. <clears throat> They'd repent. Then they'd harden their heart again. God would come. He'd chastise them. They'd repent. They'd harden their heart again. So this was an ongoing pattern. And we can see it in God's people today. And we saw it when God's people were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to deliver them, but they resented him because of his connection with the Egyptian court, and they rejected him. And because they rejected him, they had to spend another 40 years in bondage. You see, when we reject the will of God, you know, it, it robs us of God's goodness. It ro- robs us of time. Then Moses came back, ready with power and miracles, but Pharaoh didn't respond to Moses' demands right away, so the Hebrews turned on him. And eventually, they were freed. But not long after they started to, uh, after they were freed, they started to complain. They complained about Moses, we don't have any water. Moses, we don't have any food. Moses, all we have is this manna from heaven. God in his grace gave them the manna from heaven. Then they wanted meat. We're tired of this manna. We want meat. So God gave them quail. And they ate it until it was coming out of their nose, the Bible says. When Moses went to meet with God, what did they do? When he's up on the mountain receiving the the, the command, they made a golden calf. They began to worship the golden calf. They refused to enter the promised land when they heard about the giants. Oh, we can't go. There are giants all over them. Then when God told them they couldn't enter Canaan, guess what? They said, okay, we'll go. Condemned to wander 40 years in the wilderness, they supported a rebellion led by Moses' cousin Korah. They didn't want him to be, they didn't want Moses as their leader. The Israelites were often chastised. God used plagues. He, they were defeated in battle. They experienced earthquakes, fiery serpents, and they still hardened their hearts. And if you want to see that happen in the last days, go to the book of Revelation, and you'll see... When, when, when God is pouring down his judgment upon the, 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 after the, uh, during the great tribulation period, they still are shaking their fist at God rather than repenting as a result of the plagues. So again, <clears throat> just seems to be the nature of man, but again, God in his grace is always willing to, to hear their confession and to, re- and to forgive them you know, if they repent. So let's begin with verse 1 of Proverbs 29. And Solomon says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. In other words, a man who's stubborn and refuses to repent or submit 
to repeated correction like we just saw, you know, chastisement all the time, you know, God dealing with them. When they refuse to repent or submit to repeating, repeated correction, and that is here mentioned often rebuked, when they're often rebuked, you know, it's promised that in some way they're going to be broken. And if God breaks them the way they're speaking of here, it'll be beyond recovery. There'll be no turning back. So the understood warning here is that if someone rebukes you, you should pay attention. Verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Here now, Solomon tells tells us about seven types of people that the king should watch out for. He should not appoint the sinful man to a position of authority. And a nation suffers when, first of all, and here's the first type of man that, that Solomon tells the king to watch out for, the morally, wicked, the morally wrong man, the wicked man. He's morally wrong. Morally wrong people get more and more authority, it seems, as we see leaders in our nation today. A nation is on their way down, and they're going to fall when people without moral values make it to high offices. And boy, we have a lot of that today. When they have a lot of influence over governmental decisions. And the government has gotten control of the decision-making process and they have changed the character and the direction of our nation. How many people do we see saying that, that, that our nation is going in the wrong direction? Solomon said that when the wicked are in power, the people mourn. And boy, we have a lot of mourning people today. Grieved behind what we see happening in our nation. Men proven to be immoral are being elected to high offices. You know, that reflects the people more than it does the the individual because they're putting them in office. Many of society's problems can be traced to decisions that were made by the wicked. That's what Solomon called them. You know, we seem to be losing our rights. Government has replaced or is replacing God today. No one has the solutions for the problems of this world. And what we need today are righteous men and women who will stand for what's right at any price. And all it takes is one righteous person. Verse 3. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. The second person here, Solomon warns the king to watch out for, is the sensual man. The joy of a wise man's father is compared with a father's wealth being wasted by a son who hangs out with prostitutes. According to Proverbs 2, uh, Proverbs uh, 5 and 7, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 2 and verse 12, Proverbs 16, Proverbs 5, 1 through 3, and verses 7 through 11, wisdom will keep you from adultery. Verse 4. The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. Here's the the third type of person the king says to watch out for. The seductive man. The basic idea here is integrity. Integrity should be a characteristic of all levels of government. From the highest position to the lowest official. Integrity is critical. And it should be fair to all you know, who, who, who pass wise and fair laws and administer fair punishment to all. It should be fair, the judgment for everyone. 
No partiality. Verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Okay, now here's the, uh, the, the fifth uh, person to watch out for. Flatterers. The word flatters is literally makes smooth. The word flatters literally means makes smooth. That is a smooth person, a smooth talking person. In Proverbs 2 verse 16 and Proverbs 7 verse 5, the word is rendered seductive. So this flattery is smooth talk that deceives because it's meant to do harm. It's meant to be deceiving. But Solomon says a flatterer will suffer for it. He will be caught in his very own trap that he has set for others. Verse 6. By transgression an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. In other words, okay, this is to watch out. Uh, I mean, an evil person is caught in his own trap, while the righteous, on the other hand, you know, lives happy and carefully lo- carefree lives. They don't have to worry about what, they're, what, what they do will come back to haunt them. Verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. All right, here's the fourth person to look out for, Solomon says. He says, watch out for the selfish man. Righteous people. Just people, they want to see justice rather than the oppression on the poor. The poor being the feeble, the weak, and the helpless. But the wicked, Solomon says, they don't seem to care whether the poor get treated fairly or not. A person's relationship to God shows up in his attitude toward the needy. Verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Here's the fifth person the king says to watch out for. Scornful, the scornful man. Verses 8 and 9, the scornful, scornful man. In verses 8 and 11, through 11, they compare angry fools with honest, wise people. Scoffers laugh at moral boundaries. We hear them today. You know, talk about the Bible and how you follow what the Bible says. People will laugh. You really believe that? You really, you know, this is the 21st century. You're really going to follow that kind of a, 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 a boundary? You know, it, it, they, they stir up uh, problems. You know, they stir up trouble. Scoffers keep things in an uproar. Scoffers make others angry and they stir up rebellion. But the wise, Solomon says, they help calm a city. How? By stopping anger and the results of their anger. Verse 9. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. You may have experienced these kind of people in your life. Solomon says, trying to win a court case with a fool, a fool being an arrogant, hardened fool, should be avoided. Because this kind of a person is led by his emotions and now not sound logic. As he keeps things in an uproar, there's no peace. You know, he's angry. You know, he's ranting, he's raging, and his scoffing, Solomon is, is, is implying here. A wise man trying to get a point across to a fool, hey, may try anger. They might try sarcasm and mockery. But not even these things will have the desired effect. And, and here's the bottom line. There are just some people that nobody can get along with. No matter what your attitude is, no matter how you talk to them, no matter the things that you say, they just, 
they just don't want to get along. And this is the kind of person that Solomon is warning about here. Verse 10. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. Here's the sixth kind of person that Solomon says that a king is to be watchful for. A spiteful man. A good example of this is Saul. Man, Saul was a spiteful man. He was, he was envious of David, and therefore he became spiteful. You know, he tried so many times to, to kill David and to do away with David, and, and just, you know, he, he went after David so much that it, it, it took his kingdom and his life away. He was so absorbed, you know, with David that, that you know, he got ripped off. God took his kingdom and his life away. Our attitude toward the upright shows our nature good people side with the upright they're on the side of the upright and as this proverb says the bloodthirsty hate blameless people verse 11 and we know these kind of people a fool vents all of his feelings but a wise man holds them back good words of wisdom here by solomon Solomon is warning the king to watch out for these kind of people. And, and, and the word there, uh, fool, is also me, means stupid or silly. So Solomon is saying, watch out for the stupid or silly man. They're a fool. You know, you talk with a fool, and guess what? He will tell you everything. A wise man will hold back. He won't tell everything. He won't say what doesn't need to be said. He only will say what should be said and needs to be said. He'll be very careful about when and what he says. You know, the scripture says there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There are times when it's wise not to tell all that we know. And what's important is who we're telling it to. We need to watch out what we say and who we say it to. Because a lot of people say too much. And later on, guess what? They wished they hadn't. You know, they'll hear others talking about it and wonder, well, where, where did they hear that? And they know that the person they talked to, they must have told somebody else. You know, a lot of people just say too much and, and wish they hadn't. Shammai and Nabal are examples of such fools. Remember, Shammai was the one who came out and cursed David when he was walking along the road with his men. And Shammai just called him all kinds of names, made all kinds of accusations that weren't true. And Nabal is another example of a fool. When, when, when David's men came and was asking for kind of a, uh, uh, some aid, a handout, if you will, some help from, from Nabal's men because David was kind of in that area and he was protecting the men in that area and he protected Nabal and his men. And David thought, well, you know, he said, go out there and see if Nabal will, you know, share some of his goods with us, you know, kind of for helping him. And, and Nabal just, he just said, who is this David? Who is this guy? He just could be just another one of those bandits roaming through the desert here and he wants me to give him my food. And so again, Nabal and Shammai are examples of such a fool. Our best example of a wise man, and we know, is Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus had all knowledge of all facts and he had all truth, being omniscient, he often didn't tell everything that he knew. And he kept some of his knowledge for later. Listen to what he said in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. 
Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. A fool quickly gives in to anger, but a wise person maintains self-control. He keeps himself under control. And that is a fruit of the spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. A fruit of the spirit. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Verse 12. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. There are a lot of rulers who don't care about what's right or wrong. They, they, they surround themselves with men who are yes men. They're flatterers. They're liars. They're wicked who tell them just what they want to hear. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was one of those, for example. And if you remember, he, you know, Rehoboam, you know, sought the, the, the wisdom of the elders, Solomon's elders, and uh, they, they told Rehoboam how he should rule the people, you know, make life easier for them, make life better for them. And then Rehoboam went to the younger guys that he knew, that he hung out with. And they said to, 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 to Rehoboam, be, be, you know, be strong and, and, and you know, be hard with them. And, and those are the ones that, that Rehoboam you know, listened to. And, and they were wrong. You see, if a ruler takes the advice of liars, then he's encouraging wickedness in the people around him. But if he, if he rewards honesty, then that will be encouraged. Honesty will be encouraged and de deceitfulness will be punished. Verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The poor man, the one who is destitute and hungry, the poor man and the oppressor, they are total moral opposites. One thing that poor victims have in common with their oppressors is that they were both given sight by the Lord. One can see the other. Rich and poor, the oppressor and the oppressed, they owe their light and their life to the Lord. He makes the sun, the scripture says, to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's the father, he's the ruler, and he's the judge of all. But here's the comfort for the poor. The poor, like all of us, we have, the poor have a tender father who watches over them, who cares for them, who's concerned about them. Here's a warning for the rich. He'll have to give, the rich will have to give an account of his stewardship one day. What God gave them, how did they use it? Did they use it just for themselves? Did they use it to help their fellow man and to give glory to God? We will give an account. Verse 14. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever you know it seems like god uses the poor to test people you know when when they they come into our into contact with us when they come our way how do we treat them a nation's rulers it, it, it will say it, it will you know it tells a lot about themselves by the way they treat their poor people Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 46. Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then Jesus goes on to tell them why the king will say to them on his right hand, come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says, because when I was hungry, you gave me food. He said, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When, when, when did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, speaking of the poor, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you didn't give me any food. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was a stranger, you did not take me in. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. He says, he says and, and he says, and, and did not, and you did not, I'm sorry, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, in all of this, this tells us that God measures our love for Him in how we yield to our, our, our brother, our fellow man. His measure... Uh, his measure of love, our, you know, our measure of love is measured by, again, Jesus and how we treat those that come into our path that are poor. Fairness toward those who are least able to take care of themselves, that is the poor, the feeble, the weak, the helpless, that is the sign of a good king. And, it, and Solomon said, his throne is therefore secure. God blesses rulers who care about the people and people appreciate these kinds of rulers. Verse 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This is a word for, for parents today, and, and especially working parents today, to be careful. Even in the affluent United States, children, many children, young children are said to live in poverty. Infant mortality rates are worse than in, in, in many other countries. Child abuse, and we hear it all the time today. I think more than ever and more violent than ever. Child abuse statistics continue to rise. And a growing number of American children are said to be living in home environments that are hostile. Hostile to healthy emotional growth. No, children today many times have become more of a, of a hindrance, an obstacle, a commodity than kids. You know, they're getting in the way of parents' dreams and their hopes and what they want to do. Neglect and indifference. Man, they have, they have terrible consequences on children. 
And many families are unstable, you know, causing insecurity and a sense of guilt. Kids thinking it's their fault. What did we do? An increasing number of children have emotional and mental problems. And and I don't know if it's a lot of it, but I do know that some of it, probably a lot of it, today is due to broken homes and, and remarriages that add to the problems. And I'll never forget this lady who called me one time and said, can I come in and talk to you? And I said, sure. And she says, I, I need to bring my children into you so that you could talk to them. Well, what do you want me to talk to? He says, they're doing poor in school. You know, they're, 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 they're not doing well in, in their own personal lives. She said, you know, my, my, me and my husband divorced not too long ago, and, and you need to tell them to, to straighten up. I said, lady, you did that. I go, you know, I, I, I said, you know, she said we, we couldn't get along and, and we just could and so we, you know, we, we, we got a divorce. I go, those children, you know, when they were born, they deserve to have two parents. Yeah, there are conditions where, you know, divorce, Bible says, you know, but, but under most conditions, you know, incompatibility is not a biblical basis or reason for divorce. You know, we are called as Christian, especially Christian parents, to work things out rather than walk out. Because, you know, we're not just walking out on our spouse. We're walking out on those kids. And a lot of people, I don't think, really understand that or take it to heart. If Solomon was alive today, he'd be, I, I think, he'd probably be horrified. You know, the, the, the Christian divorce, divorce rate is, is pretty much the same as non-christians he wrote he wrote this proverb for a stable society where a strong home or a strong life home life was the norm i wonder what he'd think or what he'd say about today's society and what he would see verse 16 when the wicked are multiplied transgression increases but the righteous will see their fall when wicked leaders Govern a nation, sin is encouraged. And we can see that today. Proverbs has said many times, the wicked will eventually fall and the righteous will live to see it and rejoice. Verse 17. When, uh, verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Our children become either a source of constant worry or rest and contentment. And it depends a lot upon how they are raised, but not totally. Because we can be the best parents and give them the best foundation, but they still have their own minds. And they can still, in the end, choose what they're going to do. But again, we need to lay that foundation, that biblical foundation. Two children raised in the same home can become a credit to the parents, while the others... They just go on their, their own way. Now, we see that in Scripture. Out of Adam and Eve's home, we saw what? Cain and Abel. Out of Abraham's home, we saw an Ishmael and an Isaac, one of the spirit, one of the flesh. Same with Cain and Abel. Out of Isaac's home, we saw Esau and Jacob. Out of Noah's home, we saw a Ham and a Shem. Out of David's home, we saw an Absalom and a Solomon. And there are other examples as well. 
The best example of this verse is the way God corrects his children. He's he's, he's way too wise. Our father is way too wise to let us get away with disobedience. And disciplining a child results in the parents having peace and joy later because their son or daughter will behave and grow wiser. John said in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Isn't that the truth? To know that our children are walking in truth. Verse 18. When there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now in the King James Version, it says where, where it says where there is no vision, it is misleading. Here it says where there is no revelation. But again, in the King James Version, it says where there is no vision. The word vision is the revelation that a prophet receives. Also, the King James Version translation, where it says the people perish, this doesn't refer to unsaved people dying in sin. It means to cast off restraint. In other words, the verse is saying that without God's Word, the revelation of God's Word, people will do whatever they want. And boy, we see that today. They have no boundaries. There's no restraint in their lives. They do whatever their heart desires, whatever their flesh craves. They're led by their own sinful ways. They do what's right in their own eyes. On the other hand, keeping God's word, obeying God's law, his revelation, that brings happiness. You see, God's people, you and I, we live by revelation. We live by the scriptures. And when the scripture are, scriptures are obeyed, that is, when, when, when it's obeyed, the scriptures, people will find Jesus Christ. And they will adjust their lives to conform to the word of God and not conform to the ways of the world. And they will find the secret of a happy life. Verse 19. A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. The servant who, who won't answer is impolite and stubborn and sometimes words words aren't enough to get uh, the person that that you want from a uh, or a response that you want from a problem employee again sometimes words just they don't they're not listening they're not enough to again get the response that you want from a problem employee you may have to take a harsher approach this employee understands what's expected of him but doesn't care about what he's being told. He takes his time. He doesn't care about the job. He deliberately messes up. Verse uh, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A good example of a man uh, with hasty words is, is Jephthah. Remember the story in Judges chapter 11, verses 30 through 31? Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. This is what he said. He said to the Lord, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then, will it, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Of all the foolish things, a man could say, Jephthah has to be at the top of the list because it wouldn't be long before he would deeply regret his thoughtless vow. 
Jephthah got the victory that he asked the Lord for. And when he went back home, it was his daughter that came out of the front door to meet him. Can you imagine? And you know what? When you kept a vow in those days, you kept a vow. Solomon said it was more foolish to, to not, than, he said it was smarter to not vow than to, take a, to make a vow and not keep it. Because God does not, you know, he, he, he does not take favor to us uh, at all when we don't keep our vows. Verse 21. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. In other words, the person who pampers his servant, the employer who pampers his servant from childhood will have him expecting the rights of a son later on. In other words, failure failure to discipline a servant and and to require him to do his duty to carry out his responsibilities will result in grief in the end later on. He will be a grief to his master. Verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. Solomon is talking about the effects of a person with an anger problem, with an explosive nature. This is a warning of losing self-control, which we already spoke about earlier. An angry, hot-tempered person literally means, hot-tempered literally means, the, or an angry, it means owner of wrath. A person who's an owner of wrath is a person who causes strife and they commit many sins. And we know, maybe from our own past, but we know when, when we have people with an explosive nature, hot-tempered hey we use foul language we insult others we take god's name in vain we become rude we become cruel or oppressive prideful and and they cause problems wherever they go verse 23 a man's pride will bring him low but the humble in spirit will retain honor pride is very destructive it turned Lucifer into Satan. It brought down Adam and Eve. Pride turned Cain into a murderer. Pride made King Uzziah a leper. Pride led to the downfall of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius the Mede. Pride filled the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees so that they wanted to, to the, when they wanted you know, the best seats in the synagogue. They wanted the places of honor at every feast. And pride has destroyed more marriages and families and caused more wars and ruined more friendships and more lives than any other force on earth. Pride is at the top of the list of the seven things that the Lord hates in Proverbs 6, 16 through 17. He says those things, it's an abomination to him. God hates pride because it makes a person live independent of him. Verse 24 Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. In other words, he says, if you help a thief or you assist a thief, you're only hurting yourself. You are sworn to tell the truth, but you dare not testify. The partner of a thief becomes his own enemy, Solomon says, because his involvement in crime, it works against him. And in court, he'll take an oath, but, but then he has to lie or not say anything and if he testifies he'll excuse himself and if he doesn't say anything people will think he's guilty 
Leviticus 5.1 says, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, he does not tell it, he bears the guilt. Verse 25, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. When we think about the fear of man, maybe you think of Peter when he denied the Lord while he was warming his hands at the enemy's fire. To fear, it means tremble. This word fear is not the word for reverence before God. This is the word fear that means to tremble. Man ensnares himself in the sense that what he does is controlled or, conf- or, or confined, restricted by a, a person that they're afraid of. And many times when we're afraid of people, it does. It, it, it restricts us what we do. Uh, we're afraid of that person and, and may not do what we're supposed to do because we're afraid of them. It's a lot better, Solomon said, to trust in the Lord because that brings safety. And the words here, shall be safe, it means to be inaccessibly high or to be exalted. You see, when we're trusting in the Lord, He raises us up. We're inaccessibly high. Another man can't get to us. He can't get to us. We're inaccessibly high or we're to be exalted. Security in the Lord removes the fear of man. Verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Solomon is saying here, we shouldn't be all that excited to, you know, be in favor or to gain the favor of of people who are in power. Because most of the time, they really don't care about you. They don't care about who you are. They're just looking out for themselves, their own interests. You're just an instrument. You're just a tool to them. You're just somebody that they can use to better themselves or, or, or gain for their own interests. The king's favor, though, is a very, the king's favor is a very sure thing. A king could be happy with you today and he could be unhappy with you tomorrow. It just depends on what kind of mood he was. A king could promise you a lot. He could give you very little or nothing. True justice comes for the Lord. He is not moody. He doesn't think of you one, one way today and another way tomorrow. He's, he, you know, he, he's immutable. He's unchangeable. His love for you is constant. It is the same. It doesn't matter what you do. And God will make things right in the end. So trusting Him is more important than the fear of any man. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, verses 8 through 9, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The difference, again, it's, it's better to trust in, in, in put confidence than to put confidence in, in a man or, or leaders. Verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. If evil doesn't upset you, you know, if it doesn't do something to us, we're not an upright person ourselves. The opposites given here are incompatible. In other words, and I've said it before, you know, if God hates something, how can we love it? And if God loves something, how can we hate it? Again, the opposites given here by Solomon are incompatible. There's no common moral ground. There's no compromise. No compromise is impossible. The godly man hates the lifestyle of the wicked. 
The wicked man hates the lifestyle of the godly man. Remember, Cain's religion was incompatible with Abel's convictions, even though he was his brother. You know, Abel brought something that, that you know, he, he, he brought to the Lord something that the Lord, you know, um, desired. Right? He, he brought it. It wasn't the work of his hands. Cain, on the other, other hand, he brought something of his own. He brought him something that, that you know, was his own doing. They were incompatible. That's why Cain was, was rejected and Abel was, 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 was accepted. The godly man hates the lifestyle of the wicked man. Cain's religion, like I said, was incompatible with Abel's uh, convictions, even though they were brothers. And there was no way that Elijah and Ahab could be friends. Herod and John the Baptist were incompatible. Jesus and the Pharisees stood for absolutely opposite principles. Saul and Stephen didn't have anything in common. So compromise with evil is absolutely impossible. And we're living in a world where God and Satan are at war. And it's clear that there's a very strong feeling against the wrongdoer in the minds of the righteous. It's a fact that it says in Psalm 139, verse 21 through 22, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. In Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, in Mark 3, 5, Jesus looked around at them with anger. In Psalm 7, 11, it says God is angry with the wicked every day. In Psalm 5, 5, he hates all workers of iniquity. You see, we're to reflect what's in Christ's heart. We're to reflect his nature. Now, what shouldn't be in our heart? There shouldn't be any ill will for the person, uh, for, for, for the person or want to see them suffer. There should be no ill will in our heart for anybody or to see them suffer. We should wish the best for their soul. And it's not a mistake. I'm sorry, it's a mistake, if not a sin, when we allow ourselves to enjoy watching or indwelling on the humiliation or the sorrow of the wicked. We should only wish for the ruin. Now here, be clear. I'm being clear here. We should only wish for their ruin as a way of their purification and recovery and coming to the Lord. Like, like Satan, like, like Paul spoke of the man who, who, who slept with his, his mother-in-law. Said that, that, that you know, Satan said, uh, Paul said, give him up for the destruction of the flesh that Satan might save him. Now, what should be in our heart? Pure pure resentment the same as what god feels and as our lord felt when he lived among us matthew chapter 23 we should have in our heart a fall a feeling of strong condemnation when we're obligated to direct against them as doers of unrighteousness also faithful but reasonable condemnation should be in our heart that is a time to speak as well as a time to keep silence and both publicly and privately it is, it is proper for us to blame the ungodly and even condemn the unjust or cruel. But we have to make sure that we know what's going on before we say anything so that our judgment is fair and it's right. Third, what should be in our heart? Fearless and unwavering opposition. 
We must aggressively and persistently be opposed to the wicked and we should do our best to bring their purposes to ruin. Stand up. Speak truth. The fourth thing that should be in our heart is sincere and practical compassion. We should pity them like Jesus pitied us and honestly and sincerely trying to win them to the truth and righteousness of Jesus Christ just like Jesus did when he came to redeem us from sin and to raise us to be like him, to raise us to his likeness and to restore us to the kingdom of God. There can be no compromise between good and evil. No compromise between right and wrong, truth and error. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Notice, Jesus left no ground for neutrality. He left no ground for compromise. There's no middle of the road with God. Some people say that the answers to moral questions are just black and white. You know, I'm sorry, are not black and are just black and white. They're not there, they think. But many times they are there. Many of the answers to life and to the problems, they are there. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That means for what's right. You want to know what's right? Scripture. For reproof. Scripture is there for what's not right. For correction. That's for making it right. For instruction in righteousness, for staying right, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scripture is there to tell you what's right, to tell you what's not right, and, or, and to make it right, and for staying right. The scripture has it all. There is a solution to all of man's needs. And that solution is in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Colossians 2.10, you are complete in Him. The word complete means to fill up, to make full. You don't need anything or anyone else. In Him, Jesus Christ, both good and evil people find their final place and their peace. And once again, I've quoted this scripture several times or this quote several times from alexander mclaren but again it fits here he who has the holy spirit in his heart and the scriptures in his hands has all that he needs father once again we thank you for your almighty word we thank you for the wonderful words of wisdom that your scriptures have are to us lord and what you have given us lord we're so thankful the father when you brought us into this world and, and when you saved us you didn't you didn't leave us on our own. You didn't leave us like, like, like the blind God who, who, who can't see and make their way. Father, you didn't leave us groping around for, for the direction to go. You gave us signposts. You gave us light. You gave us direction. You gave us a, a map, if you will, through the word of God, through the scriptures. And if we will follow them, we will not be lost we will not get lost. But it will lead us to you, Father, where we will have hope, where we will have a purpose, and we will have understanding. So, Lord, we thank you, and we pray now that you be with us as we go our separate ways. Watch over us, protect us, keep us safe and healthy, Lord. And, Lord, we just, uh, again, look forward to meeting together again as uh, we come back. So we thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.